It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with my friend, also named Jesse, about his mysterious chronic illness. Jesse suffers from extreme fatigue, brain fog, tremors, and intense, mysterious pain. For example, he can't put any weight on his feet without excruciating pain, which necessitates the use of a wheelchair. His experience with the medical system has been extremely rough. Many doctors have been extremely dismissive, ignoring Jesse's request for certain tests, especially the ones that are more expensive. He is currently being examined for YOPD, Young Onset Parkinson's Disease and was also recently tested for Wilson's disease. Jesse will tell us about the emotional turmoil that this disabling mystery illness has caused. This is another episode where we are hoping to crowdsource some information. If you listen to this episode and have thoughts about potential diagnoses that you recommend Jesse explore, please email me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. Jesse is a friend that I've known for over a decade, and it means a lot to me to be able to highlight his story, once again exploring how difficult it is to have an undiagnosed chronic illness inside of our medical system. Jesse was very open about the anger he feels towards the medical system, the anger that he can't get the help that he deserves. And the way he speaks about that anger was so relatable to me, something I have felt over and over, and it was very moving to hear. So this makes for a really powerful episode of the podcast. I'm excited to share it with you. Grateful to Jesse for coming on the show, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. Last week on the podcast, we spoke with another friend of mine, Rachel Geyer-Mufune, about her challenges with mental health, including her experiences with bipolar disorder. We got a comment from Christine on this episode on Spotify. It says, wow, I too would have been like, yeah, right, to anyone saying bipolar is a major pain. So thank you for talking about it. I am recently diagnosed and still trying to find my own way to talk about it. Thank you, Christine, for your comment. I got some very powerful uh, feedback from last week's episode that the openness and honesty that Rachel shared with us in discussing her bipolar diagnosis was extremely helpful to other people living with this disease, something that's not talked about often enough publicly. So I'm so grateful to Rachel for an amazing episode last week. If you haven't taken a listen yet, it's definitely one you don't want to miss. A couple days ago, I released the bonus episode for the month of October for our community of listeners who support this show on Patreon. Each month, Andy and I sit down to record a bonus episode, and this one was very personal, as it usually is. Andy's surgery for her pituitary adenoma is happening in just a couple days. Andy actually spoke about her pituitary adenoma on a podcast episode way back in season one. And all throughout the bonus episodes on Patreon, she and I have been cataloging her experiences as this thing has been so, so hard to live with to the point where surgery is actually the best option at this point. So it's happening this week. You can hear all of her thoughts about how she's feeling on the bonus episode this week, as well as, you know, me talking about the updates on my health journey, how I've been doing, and, you know, all the bumps in the road with Finally having a diagnosis and getting better, but being unsure of what my body is capable of. And of course, we talk about what we're watching on TV. We've got great new episodes of not only Survivor, but also Frasier, which is amazing. (laughs) So you can hear all that on the bonus episode. And the bonus podcast is now available on Spotify. You can link your Patreon and Spotify accounts and listen right through the Spotify app, which is super convenient. If you're on Spotify, just search for Major Pain Bonus Episodes and it will pop right up. 
Head to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast to learn more or to sign up on Patreon. We have three tiers of support that all come with different levels of recognition on the show and special gifts, including Major Pain coasters and tote bags that are beautiful. They are made by my mom, which I'm so appreciative of. And everyone who signs up for as little as $2 per month gains access to our monthly bonus episodes. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers supporting this show at the highest tier of $25 per month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Your continued support is so appreciated. There are several great ways to support this podcast, including leaving us a positive rating and review, following us on social media, or signing up to participate in research studies and surveys through Rare Patient Voice, where you can get paid for your time. You can learn about all the great ways to support this podcast on our website, majorpainpodcast.com support. During this last week, I discovered a podcast episode that I listened to about my new diagnosis of mast cell activation syndrome that was so, so fascinating. And I have to share it with you. It's on a podcast called Pathways to Wellbeing. The episode is called Root Causes and Treatments of Mast Cell Disease with Dr. Lawrence B. Afrin. Dr. Afrin is one of the leading experts on mast cell disease in the United States. And hearing his take on mast cell activation syndrome was so illuminating for me. First of all, it was just really gratifying to hear this doctor talk about my own diagnosis. And it it could have been my life story that he was describing, you know, someone living with uh, weird environmental sensitivities and unexplainable mystery illness on and off throughout their life. That's me. So uh, it was so cool to hear him talk about that. A couple of the key takeaways I had from this podcast were one that uh, he said we're not just in our infancy in the understanding of mast cell activation syndrome. We are embryonic in our understanding. There's so much that we don't understand. There are over a thousand mediators that mast cells can release when they activate. With MCAS, we often talk about histamine and sometimes tryptase. Those are really the the two best known mediators, I think, that are released by mast cell activation. But there are over a thousand mediators and we barely understand what even tryptase does in the body, let alone all the rest of these mediators. And also, the presentation of the disease varies so widely because the amount of the different mediators that are released varies per person, and your symptomology will look different based off of which mediators are released. Dr. Afrin said that there may be upwards of 20% of the population living with mast cell activation syndrome of some sort or another. And he believes that a lot of people with long-term mysterious chronic illness may have mast cell activation syndrome. I know I do. Getting on the medication for this disease has changed my life. I feel so lucky to have found a local doctor here in the Seattle area who understands this disease and was able to get me on the protocol and see that it was working. Because something else Dr. Afrin talks about is the inconsistency in the testing itself that we currently have. So it's a really, really great listen. I will put a link in the show notes of this episode if you'd like to check it out. I definitely think it's worth your time. This episode of Major Pain was made possible in part through a creator grant from the Stimpunks Foundation. The Stimpunks Foundation supports neurodivergent and disabled individuals directly. It's an amazing organization, and I am deeply, deeply grateful to receive this creator grant, which helps me to continue to create this podcast while I still am awaiting the results of my disability hearing. So the financial support is massive to keep me going. Thank you so much to the Stimpunks. You can check them out online at stimpunks.org.
Before we jump into Jesse's story today, I wanted to take a moment and say thank you for listening to this podcast. The growth that we are seeing in this show really, really excites me. The feedback that I get about the value of this podcast in people's lives is deeply, deeply validating for me as I create this podcast. And it really, really means a lot to me to hear from people, to know this show is being listened to, to know it's making a difference. And none of that would be possible without you, the listener, tuning in every week to hear these stories of living with chronic illness and disability. And I'm so, so appreciative. I'll remind you as always that my guests and I are not medical professionals. So please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll get into our conversation with Jesse about his disabling mystery illness. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited today. You're the first Jesse besides me <laughs> that we've had on the show. And you're also an old friend of mine who I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, so I'm really, really excited to catch up with you today because I don't really know what you've been going through besides just, you know, we've texted back and forth a little bit. Enough to know right. that it's been very similar to what I have gone through, which is bizarre enough in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're just like, you know, we're both Jesse. We both have like a similar history. We met at the same job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. We met probably 13, 12, 13 years ago, I'd say. Yeah. Um, so working, we're right in there. Yeah. Yeah. Working at Starbucks. I, I trained you at Starbucks. You that's were the, right. first, the yeah. first person I trained. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then we used to, you know, hang out. You'd come over. I think we like had some poker games or something at my house. I'm sure at one point. Yeah. Poker games. We, we, uh, crashed some, um, parties a couple of times. That was pretty fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, uh, like I even, uh, took my kid over and, and hung out at your place. And like, um, it was really cool to be able to hang out with someone where I could actually take my kid because, you know, obviously when you have a kid and you're a single parent, like kind of hard to get out. <laughs> yeah. And I, I loved hanging out with your kid. I, that reminds me, we went up to Smith tower once and like yep, went, went up right. to, with your, with your kid. Yeah really good times. But you know, when my health crashed, I lost touch with a lot of people out of necessity of not being able to do much. Uh, yeah, and you, yeah. you know, you're one of those friends that I just haven't seen since before my health crash, my health crisis flared up. You reached out when I just put out my diagnosis episode to mm -hmm. say congratulations. And I'm like, yeah, well, we got to catch up. And it, it jogged my memory that you had been going through some, some health stuff too. So but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's get to know you a little yeah. bit first. So, Jesse, why don't you tell yeah. us, uh, tell our audience a little bit about who you are so we can get to know you a bit. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I've uh, long wanted to make a difference in the world, and I've uh, attempted to do that in many different ways. And then more recently, I took a new approach. I saw the direction that technology was taking, and I strongly believe that the cell phone will be replaced with um, augmented reality headsets at mm. some point, or augmented with, and everyone's going to have them. So I got in on that action as early as I could and positioned myself so that I could maybe create a positive influence. Uh, I just feel that the world is really messy, and a lot more could be done to help influence people's thinking, to realize that we are all all people that we can all get along a lot easier. Um, we don't have to be so segmented over everything and uh, maybe make the world a little bit safer and better for, for my descendants and, and everyone else's as well. 
So that was kind of the, the main goal behind what I do now. And that was, I began developing video games and software and things for virtual reality. I got into the closed beta for Horizon Worlds, which is um, a meta project. And there's a bunch of other projects out there like it, which I'm, I'm also kind of playing with a little bit. But in Horizon Worlds, it's got the required background to make it match the same kind of setup that you need for a new type of market to, to emerge, right? So just like when the Apple Store was first popping up, everything that had to line up, that's what's lining up in what Meta's setting up to do. I got in on that while it was still uh, exclusive. And now I have a co-founder. We started a studio. We're just uh, about a year and a half in. We've already made some really big titles for really big international companies. I don't know if you've heard of the game, Genshin Impact. It's yeah. on basically every device. Yeah. We did a promo for them. Uh, we made, what, Four Worlds? And um, they actually showed it in Paris at a gaming convention. Um, that was one of my favorite, I think, uh, client jobs that we've taken so far. So. Cool. Yeah. Congrats. That's so, so awesome. Yeah. Last time I talked to you, none of this had even started. Yeah. So I'm so curious, what is the future that you are envisioning? So, you know, you talk about Meta, which is like Facebook's parent company, and they right. kind of going deep on the metaverse, trying to create this like augmented reality future. So mm -hmm. right now, you know, VR headsets are kind of big and clunky and have not mm -hmm. really caught on in a huge way. But I know there's stuff like augmented reality glasses, and then I know right. that Neuralink, you know, uh, Elon Musk's company is trying to create um, actual like implantable devices that will sort of overlay right. your senses. What, where do you think the future is going? Do you think it's going to be implantable? Is it, is it glasses? Like what, what is the, so, the technology that's going to really take off and make this ubiquitous? I don't think that what's going to take off at first is going to be implanted. So if, if you look at Meta's products, they keep getting slimmer and slimmer. And they've started playing with like the Ray-Ban glasses. They have like a really terrible like camera on the glasses. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's a first step for them. They're they're looking at the long picture and they're trying to create something new. So what they've done is they've created Horizon Worlds, which um, you can build using the VR headset and your controllers. Um, you can build um, anything like with just dragging shapes and you can script in it. So it's an all-in-one system. And it makes it a whole lot more accessible to uh, people who don't know. Like before that, I was working with like v, uh, uh, VR chat. Mm -hmm. And in VR chat, you have to use outside tools. And, you know, there's a lot that's happening. But with um, Horizon Worlds being built from the ground up for internal development, and it's about to open up to web and app. So they'll, they'll be announcing that soon then it becomes this um, new type of thing that allows the, the users themselves are the creators of the experiences. That is kind of the way that everything's going. Notice how big Roblox got all at once. Mm -hmm. And so while everything moves in this direction, it's harder for uh, AAA companies to survive. And it's much easier for indie companies to take over um, many of the main roles that previously had to be fulfilled by AAA companies. And as everything goes through these evolutions and changes, they keep making the software smaller, slimmer, easier. And the end goal is a pair of glasses that you can put on that will just overlay anything in front of you. And I'm sure by the time that we're there, it'll also be, you can go into virtual reality or just augmented, depending. 
And as we go through these iterations and get closer to this point, we'll go through many iterations of what this looks like. But within the next decade or so, I think we're going to see that there'll be it'll be common practice to either have a pair of glasses that you put on that does what your phone does, or more likely integrates with it, at least for a while. Mm-hmm. So you'd have your phone, but you can answer anything with your eyes. But why this is so important and why it's so life-changing is because right now, at the same time, the AI is being developed and used in so many different applications and ways. We're going to be able to cross these two and we're going to be able to overlay our entire world with more information that we want. And we'll be able to kind of select and choose what packages we're installing, things of that nature. So imagine this real quick. We want to have a conversation and we can both appear in front of each other and talk to each other. Or alternatively, you wanted to do something I know how to do or vice versa. I could look down at my keyboard and you could look down, see my keyboard, and then you could highlight what keys to hit or what part of the car to move and pull out. You go to drive down the road and instead of having to follow maps on a screen, you have to look away from the road for, you can look at the map and see maybe an arrow and a faint line leading you where you need to go, what lane you need to change into. The whole world's evolving rapidly right now, but we're still at the early point where not everyone recognizes it yet. And so I got in at that early point because that's when you don't have colleges you need to get into it. Um, mm-hmm. Instead, I'm considered a uh, expert in my field. And this isn't because of my background um, or schooling that I've gone to previously. This is because of being in the right place at the right time and just leaning in, you know? Yeah, it's so, fascinating. Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> Thinking about the way that living in an increasingly digital world has impacted mm-hmm what we do and just like the explosion of AI this year, you know, it's been so yeah. fresh, but we're all integrating it in so many different ways, whether, and sometimes yeah. whether or not we even know it. Right. Yeah. I'm just like such a big sci-fi nerd, Star Trek, you know, I'm thinking about black mirror right now, all this Same. technology yeah. that can really change the way we exist. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, so interesting to think about what's coming up in the future. Uh, it mm-hmm. seems like you're right on the cutting edge of that, which is really exciting. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's, where I wanted to be, but it took a long time to find a way in. Now I'm there and, and, and I love it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Very exciting. Um, okay. Well, let's get into your, your health situation. And I'm so curious to hear about what you've been going through the last few years. So Jesse, what is your major pain? Well, um, to put a name on it, it's hard to, um, since it's undiagnosed currently, but, um, one current hypothesis is, um, YOPD, uh, young onset Parkinson's disease. Hmm. There's a lot of aspects to it, but I guess to start with um, my knuckles and my the joints in my toes um, and my knees, my elbows, they hurt sometimes so bad to the point where I can't even use them, but mm. they always hurt. That's been one of the biggest debilitating things. I can't put any weight on the ball or big toe of either foot anymore, so I can't walk normally. I can't do any things I used to. Um, and largely, uh, my quality of life has, uh, suffered severely. Sometimes I get brain fog, um, uh, you know, fatigue, easy, things like that. And, um, I cause flare ups easily, um, just by living my life. I, I, I can't even live my life, you know, like it's, it's yeah. a totally different thing. <laughs> yeah. Tell, and tell me about these flare ups. So it, the flare up is just the, the pain and the brain fog sort of turning up in, in volume to, to make it sort of debilitating. Yeah, that and uh, there are other aspects too. For a long time, I've had um, internal tremors, so I didn't know that there was a name for it. Uh, basically, it's tremors that you don't see on the outside, um, mm. but you feel them inside. I thought I was sensitive. Um, actually, in downtown, I think I may have told you one time when we lived there, uh, I think I said some long lines of, yeah, I, I can um, sense like uh, earthquakes that other people can't really pick up on. Huh. It's easy. 
Yeah. Turns out, no, my nervous system's just fried. So, <laughs> oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah, but internal tremors. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize that that was even a symptom of what was going on until one day um, I was running delivery because when the pandemic started, I was already doing like food delivery, and I decided that um, I wanted to make sure that um, I could contribute in some way, um, and so I wanted to take all the safety precautions, get people their food safely, make sure that you know like people who wanted to stay home could stay home and, and all that. So um, I was doing a lot of delivery and I had been doing it by bicycle in downtown Seattle. And then I, I started doing it by car over where I live now, which is across the water. And I parked and had the car off for a while. While I was waiting for a job to come in and I thought I felt an earthquake happening. I could feel it in my legs real strong. But I, I, when I looked around, I saw nothing shaking at all. And so uh, my curiosity kind of uh, leaned in and I was like, that's weird that I don't see anything lining up with this. I wonder. So I took my hands and I pressed down hard on the seat, straightening my arms, thinking I'd feel it in my, my arms too. And I didn't feel anything in my arms. It was just in my legs, but it was so strong. And that was the first time I think that I realized maybe this isn't what I thought it was. Maybe this is part of my condition that I'm already suffering with and I'm beginning to pull together, you know, from different places. That was wild and a crazy experience. Nowadays, the there aren't just internal. I get a lot of shakes, um, mm. and sometimes to the point where I, I can't use my body in the way that I intend to. And usually, with them comes a stutter, you know, um, things like that. So uh, definitely very invasive <laughs> into my life. Yeah, my experience with the medical system has been um, more bitter than sweet. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, they're still working on it. Um, I've had a couple of great doctors, but I've had a whole lot of doctors that were subpar and dismissive. Um, so it's been, it's been a real challenge. They have tested me for a lot of things, but normally they will opt to ignore anything I bring up that, that could be um, more expensive to test for. And they'll go for whatever is an easy blood test. So I've been tested for all kinds of things I didn't think was an issue, but... <laughs> I'm still trying to get tested for some of the things that um, I'm concerned about. And um, we've actually begun paying out of pocket where we can for some of those tests to get them ruled out because waiting to see the right specialist is like a six month process between appointments. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it adds up and there's not really a sense of urgency with them. It feels like they're <laughs> like, well, just wait a little bit longer. And, and, but like, for me, like I'm losing my, uh, ability to function more and more every day. I can feel it slipping away. I can tell when something's way worse and whenever I can no longer do something and me bringing it up to them doesn't seem to really ignite that urgency. But for me, like I'm, I'm racing against the clock and I don't know how long that clock has on it. And whenever it reaches that point, I won't be able to do anything I care about anymore because I already can't use my feet and I feel some of the same pressures come up in my hands sometimes. And it's only a matter of time before I can't hold a game controller. I already can't draw very often. Um, that's always been a big part of my life. Mm. Um, sometimes I can't talk. Um, sometimes I can't get out of bed. And my life's slipping away while they're putting me in waiting queues. So um, it's, it's, it's a challenge to be sure. Yeah, I, I can see the emotion this is bringing up for you. And I, I can tell you, I mean, I have experienced this. And I used to think that it was just me. And then starting this podcast, just so many people experience this as well. You know, just the the way that the medical system is set up, it's like you got 10 minutes tops to talk to a doctor. Your life is on the line. You're living through this mystery that is stripping away what makes you you. And it's terrifying. And 
you know, the doctor either has nothing to offer or just says, well, we're going to send you to another specialist and that's going to be another six month wait. And it just feels like you're, you're spinning your wheels uh, yeah. inside of the thing that matters most, which is your own individual health. And they're just dealing with so many people that like nothing you say can really bring you to the top of the list or convince them that you need some extra time or that you really need uh, a champion or an advocate to really kind of help, you know, to, to take the right. extra time that it's going to take to really dig in and, and drill deep and figure out what's wrong with this one individual person, because it's your life and it, it matters to you more than anything. And mm. that feeling of, you know, feeling like time is slipping away when no one is willing to help is, is that's one of the most upsetting things that I've ever experienced in my life. And I never thought that I would get through it. I never thought I'd get a diagnosis. I never thought I'd find anyone who was willing to help. And in the last year and a half, two years, all of that for me is completely flipped around. And I now have a diagnosis. I have now gone through a hearing for disability that I, you know, my lawyer thinks that I'm going to get disability. I still haven't found out. And yeah, I mean, everything that I thought was impossible has, has happened. I now have medication that is helping which, you know, you and I are so similar in so many ways. And I say that to say that I think that that is possible for you too. Thank you. The way that this challenges us and sort of shapes the way that we have to exist within the world is, is deeply unfair and so incredibly upsetting, but good can come out of it. And I have experienced that myself. And I, and I really firmly believe that for everyone who's living through something undiagnosed and mysterious like this, that you know, who knows what the future holds, but continuing to fight and advocate for yourself and always thinking about the way in which you were doing so and the way in which you are sort of talking to doctors and, and navigating this system. There's always something new to try. There's always progress that is possible. And you just never know how long it's going to take. And just continuing to fight is the thing that I think matters the most. And I, right. I know how much it wears on you. And I can see that it is deeply wearing on you. And I, you know... That's just something that I want to share from my own personal experience. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. You mentioned to me that there is like a potential diagnosis they were talking about. Yeah, one that, that a doctor brought up and then yeah. wasn't revisited by the others yet, despite okay. um, repeated attempts. But currently, they are sending me to a movement specialist who uh, the one that uh, the first doctor tried to get me into, but he's already been super dismissive before he's even seen me. So. I'm not really holding my breath too much for him to look very deep. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, he said that he wouldn't even let me come see him unless I verbally said that I understand that I probably won't get diagnosed from him. And I'm what? just like, what a weird behavior is that? Like, it feels so wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is the, the young onset uh, Parkinson's disease? That's the one, one of them that he'll be looking at me for, yeah. Okay. You know, we've learned about Parkinson's on this podcast. We had a great episode with Karen but is that just essentially Parkinson's disease that has started young? Um, it's a little different. So uh, you only have young onset Parkinson's disease if you were di- if you get diagnosed with Parkinson's before a certain age, right? It only happens that way whenever it happens because of some kind of issue such as a genetic disorder that is inherited. Um, I do have a couple of great uncles who had uh, YOPD. Hmm. I found out about it while trying to figure out what to check for and everything. When we saw the list of things, we, we realized, wow, like these symptoms line up like a lot. And um, actually, uh, Michael J. Fox mm-hmm. had YOPD. Um, mm-hmm. And 
all the major breakthroughs in YOPD since then have been in large part thanks to the foundation that that was started in his name and and the money that he's donated to it. So um, that gives me a little bit of hope because right now it looks like that they're about six years out from a possible cure. But honestly, I don't think that I would make it six years without being medicated. But the medications that are currently out um, can buy you, uh, ironically, about six years worth of good years again before things begin digressing heavily. Mm. But that's assuming that's even what I have. We thought it also could be Wilson's because they oftentimes are confused <laughs> with each other. But I, I went through that the Wilson's disease yeah. process for years. You know, and well, here's the weird thing. I, I I brought it up, and the doctor was like, "Okay, well, let's not worry about that." But I was talking to a friend in another country, and they're like, "That's the first thing we check for here if someone has tremors at a young age." And I was well, like, well, "Really? Well, not worry about it? I mean, if if you have yeah. like Wilson's is a buildup of copper in your body that can be extremely dangerous. Yeah. So you know, I went through the whole process for this. Like we we documented this on the podcast for a while when we thought I had Wilson's, and I actually. Um, discovered at the end of that process that my doctor had made a mistake in her calculations about how high my copper was. So <laughs> it ended up sort of being the wrong pathway for me the whole time. But I ate the wow. low copper diet for a long time. I was on zinc uh, for a long time to try to decopper myself. And it's so funny because I learned later, now that I know I have mast cell activation syndrome, that some of those things actually overlapped in the treatment. And that's why I saw some improvement on the oh, Wilson's disease uh, diet and on, on the zinc, you know, cause like zinc can help with, uh, with MCAS also. But now we actually think that I have low copper and that I actually had low copper the whole time. So I'm not taking zinc anymore, gotcha, <laughs> but yeah. it's just all such a mess. Well, we, we paid for the test and now know that I don't have Wilson's. So which, that's, which test, that's the genetic test. Uh, yeah, we, yeah. We, we paid for, uh, well, the, the copper level in the blood test. So okay. it's, it's not like there's technically you should look elsewhere too, like in yeah. the eyes, things like that. Yeah. But um, uh, that being so low, it was like in, in the lower half of the good range. Um, so okay. I, I feel okay about leaving that one now and, and focusing on the other things that are still on the list, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. But, Although if you, if you yeah. have a chance to have your eyes checked for Kaiser Fleischer rings, that's, it can actually be like a depositing of copper in your eyes. It, it my according to my doctor's info and like i just said that doctor made a huge mistake but according yeah. to her info you know you definitely want to check multiple things um but okay. i but yeah. my it, copper yeah. was below the normal range which mm-hmm. she said can sometimes like there's an equation that you run which i don't remember the details of now but sometimes having mm-hmm. low copper in your blood can actually mean that it's all like deposited in, in your organs so okay. that's that's something that we were looking into where just that blood copper level can be misleading. But if you're within the normal range, that is a really good sign. You know, you'd, yeah. e- you'd either probably be too high or too low if you really had a severe copper issue. But yeah, but uh, you know, absolutely, if you can, next time you have your eyes checked, yeah. and, you know, I know you wear glasses, so next time you have an, yeah. eye, an eye exam, just have them look for that because absolutely we should be looking in more than one place. But it seems, it sounds like, you know, we have reasonably ruled out Wilson's disease. Yeah, it's it's no longer um, at the top of list of things I want to rule out. Um, yeah. What's interesting is is the the doctor that thought I might have YOPD, which actually was the second doctor to bring it up, um, and also I've heard MS quite a few times, but um, MS is a bit tricky. Every I've I've been checked um, uh, uh, for a few of the signs, and they haven't been present, hmm. um, and so uh, it's still at the on the list underneath you know other things because um, check for what's most likely first, right? Yeah. Um, Have you had an MRI? 
Uh, yeah, I have had an okay, MRI. Man. They looked at the, the the base of my brain and um, didn't see lesions on it. Okay. I found out some interesting, weird things about myself. I have an extra spine. So back when I knew you before, I think I was doing parkour at the time. Is that right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in parkour, my back would hurt after I'd roll. Everyone else would roll and not have issues. I, I thought maybe there's something wrong with my back. Turns out I just had an extra vertebrae. I so, have an extra vertebrae. Really? <laughs> well, I either have an extra or a fused vertebrae. I'm actually not sure. Um, okay. I've been yeah. told, I was told for years that I had an extra vertebrae by a chiropractor. And then when I moved to Seattle and got a new chiropractor, they said, no, you don't have an extra. You just have a fused vertebrae to your pelvic bone. So I actually don't even know. I know that I have something sort of misshapen down there, but I don't right. know what exactly it is. We're yeah, like the same so person. Right. It's so weird. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might have mass cell activation syndrome, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's hard to say. There's yeah. so many nuances. But what's interesting is they, um, uh, that doctor that thought it might be YOPD, um, he was an ER doctor, so I couldn't continue seeing this doctor mm. or anything. He didn't take patients, whatever. But um, right. he has Parkinson's. And he said that I failed his rigidity, rigidity test um, on one side. And um, that my tendons weren't reacting on that one side, which I've seen the doctor struggle with every time they test that side. And he said, okay, I want you to see a specialist. That was the guy that said no the first time. And now that I've had a second doctor recommend me to him, he's the one that I'm going to be seeing, you know, in October. And he gave me this uh, medication. He said, this is one of two medications that is usually used to treat Parkinson's. Um, this one's the muscle relaxer side. And it's usually used along with another medication, but you have to be uh, diagnosed for that second medication, right? So try this and gave me some other pointers too. And I started taking that medication and um, it was like, not like I was perfectly healed or anything, but it was like night and day. Mm. I went from not being able to get out of bed almost ever leading up to that to a few days after I, I started taking that muscle relaxer, I got up, like I literally had gone to the ER because I had tried to sweep like um, a three by three foot area very slowly and gently just to make sure I'm doing what my physical therapist told me and getting some movement in and standing for a little bit. And um, as I started to do that, um, I pulled something out of my back and that's mm -hmm. what I've gone to the ER for. I was just doing something so simple. And so after that, a few days after I, I walked through the house, um, which was crazy. I vacuumed the living room. After starting the meds. Yeah, yeah, I vacuumed the living room. Like, I, I couldn't remember just, the last time I vacuumed, you know? I just the so feeling hot. of, like, I did, like, this basic menial task, and yeah. having that be such a victory is so wild. Yeah, and I, was, I spent some time with my kids and everything, and even though I was still, you know, needing extra naps and uh, all that just to make it through my day and everything, it was like, wow, I, I feel like my life's starting to come back to me. And then the medication ended. Um, and, uh, I couldn't get anyone to re-prescribe it because they wanted to, they said, oh, well, you didn't get accepted into that doctor, you know? Ah. So I ended up going to a doctor <laughs> I paid for out of pocket alongside the insurance doctor and told him the situation. He says, I got you. Don't worry. This medication isn't high risk for anything here. I've got you, um, uh, prescription in, go ahead and continue taking it until you get your next meeting with a new primary. But I've gone through quite a few primaries because I've had uh, some primaries that, that didn't really want to do their job at all. And yeah. um, after a while, when I feel like they, they're just leading me on and not doing anything about it, I get a little bit vocal. And I, I think sometimes it makes them feel uncomfortable and they don't like being called out. And so they'll send me on to the next person, right? Yeah, that that's happened to yeah. me a couple of times. Well, mostly just okay. once, but it was yeah. a primary that I've been seeing for years. 
having your doctor tell you that they need you to move on from them is a horrible experience. How does that make you feel when that happens to you? You know, he didn't even tell me. He just, when I tried to make the next appointment, it was like, sorry, this doctor's no longer available um, for, for you. You need to um, be assigned a new primary. Mm. So that was really frustrating. You know, it, it felt like that someone's job was more important than my life. And that's fucking upsetting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I've been there. It's just, uh, it's so upsetting. And uh, my, my strategy has changed tremendously with how I talk to doctors. And also, mm. what, what medical center are you going to? I know you're still in the greater Seattle area, right? Um, yeah. Uh, um, my latest primary is actually pretty great. She listened to what I had to say, but I'm still having to jump through a lot of the same hoops. So there's still a lot of waiting and see this one doctor to go from there. But my insurance changed. So it was terrible timing for it to, to change. It was great that it changed because we needed something better. We were stuck in um, Kaiser Permanente mm. and that was over on the other side of the water from Seattle on the other side of the sound. And they were fucking awful beginning mm. to end. Um, I actually went to an ER one day and the ER doctor said, listen, the things that, that they, I'm looking at your, your file and the things that they're testing for, you're not going to get diagnosed here. You need to go find a real medical facility. You need to go across <laughs> the water. And I was like, wow, like to hear a, a doctor to say that was really like, okay, that's it. We got to get me out of this insurance. Yeah. So we switched as soon as, um, as I qualified and now I'm going to the UW. Um, oh, good. Uh, you know, I'm thrilled so, to hear that. That's exact. That's where I go. And it, it's okay, been a night awesome. and day, night and day experience there for me. It's been so much better. That's great. I, I'm a little bit nervous because my old cardiologist, so I think that um, I recently started fainting again, like I did in my 20s. Mm. Um, and one of the doctors I saw, one of the cardiologists I saw at the UW was really dismissive. He was having a really bad day because the students who were assistants were all um, outside protesting um, because they weren't being paid a reasonable wage at all. You <laughs> oh, know? no. So, so it was a bad day for him. Oh, no. um, that was the last time I saw him. And, and, and he'd been dismissive a couple of times before that, but I went in to check to see how my heart was doing. And he was pretty upset. Um, clearly there were other things going on. Um, and so he was particularly rude to me, but um, the way that he was, it was like um, uh, really dismissive and disrespectful. And um, for, for me, it was like, all right, that's the last try. I don't think I want to see this guy anymore. You know, now this is like, one guy, right? Like yeah. UW is this huge place with yeah. a lot of doctors and, and I've had some great experiences there. So I know that I shouldn't let this one situation hinder my, my, my hope for the future, mm. but um, it is um, uh, still a little bit concerning in the back of my mind. What if this doctor that's already been dismissive, who's also, you know, connected to the UW um, ends up being the same way, but my other doctor, my primary, who's doing great, she is um, with the UW as well. So you know, um, I'm sure I just need to write it out and I'm sure it's going to get, it's going to get better, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And yeah, I have had some bad experiences at UW. I've definitely had doctors that I felt like were being dismissive of me, but mm -hmm. part of the trap of this whole thing is that they literally will hold everything that you ever say and do against you when you're at the doctor's yeah. office where it all goes on your chart, right? Mm -hmm. And if you get justifiably angry and as a human being, you express the anger that you are not getting good service. Mm -hmm. You have no idea what they're going to put on your chart. And it might be right. extremely detrimental. And that is awful. And there's nothing that we can do about that as patients. So yeah. I, you have, <laughs> I started to like try to cultivate this sort of zen, yeah. 
you know, whatever this doctor says is just going to like flow right over me and I won't give it a second thought. Right. All you really, really, truly need is a good primary care doctor. You need a mm -hmm. good doctor who will continue to send you to all the right places. If your primary care is willing yeah. to listen to you and be this like hub of um, sending you off to all these different people, then the mm -hmm. specialists themselves who are generally the people who have the least amount of time for you, who are generally the people who are not going to be able to dig deep with you. Um, yeah. You know, the primary care is sort of like sending you to them and hoping to find information. But if you don't, right. as long as you have a primary care who's willing to keep fighting, that's all that it, all that you need sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I am a little concerned about my primary care only because um, uh, she she really wanted to emphasize that um, she didn't know uh, whether or not we would get any closer to a diagnosis, but she definitely wanted to treat the symptoms, which is great, um, except that because everything continues to degrade and new symptoms continue to worsen or become other symptoms, I am worried that if I don't find an answer that sooner or later, it's going to bite me in the ass and, and it'll be too late at that point, you know? <laughs> sure. I mean, that what that huge, huge thing to be worried about. Absolutely. That's something that yeah. I lived with for years as well. And mm -hmm. that this is where I start to like, try to let go. I, I started to learn that I needed to let go a little bit, you know, mm what is is and what isn't isn't and th this was really really hard for me to do but i i started to kind of have to let go of finding answers and start to live in the moment a little bit more and just try to have as joyful of a life as i could because every day that i was waiting for an answer and not getting one was a day that i was becoming more upset about it after a long time of that after years of that i recognized that that was starting to negatively impact my quality of life in the now because no, no one knows how much time we have, you know? Right. And I started to let go of my own future a little bit and sort of let go of the idea that I had to have my future be any certain way, you know? Yeah. Which was really painful and something that I look back on and feel like it was good for me, but also sort of like bad for me because I started, I wonder if it changed my own thoughts on my value of my own existence as a human, you know? Right. But yeah, it's, um, that's a definitely a challenging one. Um, I, I actually kind of went, um, a bit in the other direction. Mm. Um, I, wa I started off being, um, really patient and trying to be really calm about everything and speak really carefully about everything and tried to loosen my expectations. Like this past week, for instance, uh, I had a scare and I, I thought that I wasn't going to make it out of it alive. And, um, uh, I had fainted multiple times and I got to Kyrie and I told her, Hey, um, I need you to take me into the hospital right now, you know? And as, as I was going through that, you know, there was a lot of waves, um, things happening, but it occurred to me how incredibly unprepared I am. Um, mm. So many things I need to say to people that I've never said many things I have, but some things need to be said again, you know, and there were just so many preparations and everything. And the other thing is, is I have this incredible team at my studio. They're so faithful and they're just, they're awesome. And they're really good at what they do and they deserve what we're building. I am a very um, important part of that. And I worry about in my absence, what happens. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't have a guide written down for them for if and when that happens um, yet. So, you know, I've been thinking a lot about getting some preparations done, but at the same time, if I lean in too much on that, it's too easy for me to check out and shut down. Um, so I've been kind of using the anger 
um, and holding on to it a lot more so I can get up in the morning so I can go through the things I need to. Cause without the anger, um, it's becoming like a big heavy blanket and, and I just can't fucking move. So sometimes that little bit of, uh, being pissed off and you know what motherfuckers I'll show you, you know, that that makes me feel, um, a little more like I can get up and, and, and I can make the calls that need to be made and do the things that I need to, because I don't know, I don't know how else to fight, you know, like, it's just yeah yeah it's left to pull from <laughs> and honestly like this journey is different for all of us and there are no right answers which is part of why it sucks yeah. and whatever yeah. you can do to get yourself through it at, in this moment when things are you know in crisis mode you have to do what are some other uh coping mechanisms that you have are there medications or i know that you use a wheelchair you know tell, tell me about the way that yeah. you get through life right now uh, well, okay. So I suffered with many of these symptoms for a long time without realizing. Um, I used to work in pest management years ago and my elbows would start hurting where the uh, tendon was so bad for a couple of weeks. Like if I touched anything, it was just, it was unbearable, yeah. but I hadn't hit them on anything. There were no bruises or anything like that. And I had like different issues and things coming up, but the pain started getting so bad regularly. And I thought to myself at that time, everyone in this profession is feeling this pain. I, if I whine about it, I'm just bitching. I just got to just toughen up and, and be like everyone else. They're all not complaining about it. And I didn't realize that I might be experiencing more pain than other, other, other people. I sure. thought that, um, so later, um, some of those things, um, grew and evolved in other things, even after I was working in other professions and things. And I felt pressure in my big toe. And then I felt the tearing sensation, in my big toe, the pressure would come and go. Um, and then eventually it was a tearing sensation. It took about a month for my big toe to heal. So to continue working at that time, I just taped my toe down at like a 45 degree angle mm. and I just kept working. How many years ago was this? This would have been two or three years ago. Um, okay. So things have progressed pretty rapidly over the last three years. Yeah. Since then yeah. is when like uh, up until that point, I didn't seek help for it. Um, yeah. Once that happened, then after a month or so it healed, then it happened again, the pressure in that big toe and then the tearing sensation. And then it was like a month and a week before it healed up. That time I had to take some time off work and then I taped my toe down and continued. Hmm. Then it happened a third time and that time it never healed. A little while after that, I realized it was so hard to get around. I finally broke down and started using a cane. And then I started feeling the pressure in my big toe on my other foot. And it came and it went and it followed the same pattern. And by the December of that year, um, both of my feet, I wasn't able again to, to put weight on. If I, if I stand up and I try to put weight on the ball of my foot on either foot or, or both feet, then what happens is, um, it causes a really severe flare up, but also it, um, I, I can't hold that weight. My foot will just roll in. Um, uh, and so what happens is I have to like literally all exercises I've learned to do in my life. I mean, I've, I've been very active. I didn't know I was active. I thought I wasn't that active, but parkour, longboarding, cycling, I'm always doing something, um, hiking, um, uh, like always have something I'm doing. And, and, um, when I was a teenager, it was, it was karate, but like now suddenly I, I can't like at all. And so eventually someone heard about my situation, an anonymous donor, they, and they bought me a wheelchair and mailed it to me. I still have no idea who it was. So wow. thank you if you end up hearing this, whoever it was. Wow. But since then, I've modified the wheelchair, put like um, better wheels on for going outside. But still, it's um, you know how it is, right? With a manual wheelchair, it seems like that, well, we got sidewalks and everything. It's, it's all good. But really get out there and it's really hard to use a manual wheelchair and get around, especially if you've got hills, especially if your sidewalks are 
like um, roots under them and bumps everywhere or too skinny. Um, you go to the, the supermarket and all the carts are in the way, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have to go behind people where they can't see you. <laughs> You're just like, man, I better be watching for these lights, you know, make sure no one's backing up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole, it's a whole different thing. And so as um, that got worse, I spent more time just kind of staying inside um, and not going out as much. Uh, I still try to get out, um, but it, it, it's a lot harder to, especially now that uh, my work is online, but my health has interfered with my work and I've slowed down on what we can take for clients and things like that. And um, the, the medical bills keep piling up. And at some point you just get to a point where the savings is gone and your credit's racked up and you have to start grappling with more than one type of struggle that is now gripping every part of your life and mm. choking on you even though that you're fighting tooth and nail and put pouring out more than you think most people in your condition probably is um i i know that i'm pouring myself out as far as i can but the reason that i'm pouring myself out so hard isn't because i'm trying to wear myself down faster it's because i don't know how much time i've left and i'm not satisfied with how much i've done mm. um for this to be it you know like I don't want my children to see that I give up. Um, I don't want, like, I don't want to leave so many things undone, unfinished, you know? I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what the future looks like. But what I do know is that, at the very least, I, I hope that it can be said when the time comes that I, I fought to the bitter end. And that's the best I guess I've got is just every day I'm, I'm just trying to find that fight. I'm using, oh, I... I do have a dog. I take him out every day, but I can't walk him like I used to. And I, I can no longer hold his leash. There's all these things I can't do. But what I've done is I've adapted to the situation. So I got these um, crutch things. They go um, up to your uh, up your arm and then you hold on to it. And so it kind of holds on your arm and you hold on to it. And there's two of them. And I use yeah. a jogging leash for my dog so he can go out a little ways. And, and I have like, I, I'm not going to fall over out there. You know what I mean? So, you know, small things like that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And what about that kind of thing? What about medications? Are, are you still taking that uh, muscle relaxer that was prescribed? Yeah, so that is methocarbamol. Hmm. Yeah, that's the name of it. And I also have you know ADHD, so I take medication for that, which has actually been incredible. I don't I don't know how I would have um, made it through this um, without that yeah. um, because I would have just gone insane in my mind. I think. But I also take deluxetine. That is a antidepressant that they're giving me for nerve pain. Yep. I've taken that. It, it helps. It helps mm. um, bring the pain down a little bit, but I hate it. I hate it so bad. It comes with a handful of side effects and once or twice I've, I've missed a dose and I've ended up in the ER when I missed like two doses. Wow. Um, the pain, my, my skin aches. I can't get comfortable in any position. I go through heavy sweats and my, my skin aches so bad that no matter how I lay or move, it's excruciating. And ultimately it, it puts me into a really severe flare up too. That's when um, you miss so a dose of duloxetine. That's if I miss it. So yeah. as long as I don't miss it and I take it on time every day, then I just have miserable side effects to put up with, not debilitating ones. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Duloxetine didn't work for me at all. I tried a bunch of meds like that. Um, yeah. But I mean, what, which, which could be a sign that we have a different disease than, than each right. other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, do you mind if I sort of poke and prod a little bit at things that you've looked into? Just so, There's yeah. a lot of thoughts in my mind based off what we've talked about. And of course, I'm not a doctor, but I just, you know, I, I, I've been doing this for years now and talking to a lot of people. And I appreciate um, the breadcrumbs for sure. <laughs> yeah. And also, how do you feel about people who are listening, writing in and with 
ideas yeah, or recommendations. Okay, great. We're yeah. for it. When I first started this podcast, that's something I didn't want because right. I, you know, I was on a journey and I was looking at things and I could only handle what was in front of me and I couldn't deal with, you know, a bunch of people saying, have you tried this? Um, yeah. but, <laughs> but you know, for someone like you, it sounds like that, that would actually be welcome. So, uh, there is a department at UW that I had a really great workup with. It's called occupational medicine. Is that something okay. that you've heard of or looked into? So, uh, I saw an occupational medicine person in my last insurance. Okay. Um, I've heard that there, that I shouldn't count anything I heard from them yeah. to be, um, worth its weight at all because they only look for a few key things. And after that, they stop looking at that one. So I actually am hoping to be seen in UW eventually by Great. an occupational therapist. Yeah. That, that's something I would put high on the list for you because of what you said about you were working in pest control. That yeah. to me seems like a potential avenue of, you know, is some sort of toxic exposure triggering something. You know, I know for, from my own diagnosis that that toxic exposure can also trigger mast cells to start acting up. Uh, but there's also so much else that toxic exposure could could be the cause of. Right. So that's, I mean, glad that you're kind of looking into that. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Um, toxic exposure is something I've been a bit concerned about, but I actually looked up all the major chemicals I used um, mm. there, and I haven't seen a lot of like um, cases against many of them. And the ones I did see didn't seem to line up with my thing. Of course, everybody's different, so who knows? Sure. But um, I also took a, a lot of safety precautions. I still got exposed. You know, everyone does, I think, sure. um, at some point. But um, it makes me wonder um, if maybe it could be a toxic exposure in my house. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. Me, absolutely. I, that is something so, that I have gone worlds yeah. out of my own way to try to prevent because yeah. it's very common. So here, here's the interesting thing. We're in a house that technically isn't up to code um, mm. because when we moved into this house, we knew it wasn't up to code, um, but it was what we could afford. We had been, uh, our rent had gone up by a thousand dollars and was increasing again in Seattle. So we had moved um, here into this suburb of Seattle and found this house that was within our, our range at the time. We got into this house knowing it wasn't up to code, but thinking it was still safe. Afterward, we found out that the landlord at the time was doing a lot of his own repairs and was not good at them. And the house was really old. It's a war box. So it's like from World War II or mm -hmm. something. <laughs> and so basically after spending several years in this house um, and things getting worse, but they were already pre-existing before getting in here, but maybe that could like catalyst or something. Yeah. Well, we thought about getting out of the house to see if that was the issue. Only thing is um, gentrification had really mm. did a number on this area. So now we can't afford anywhere else. If we yeah. lose this place um, and, and the rent is capped where it's at because the new landlord knows it's not up to code. So there's nothing he can do to raise the rent um, except kick us out. And he doesn't want to. He's you know pretty decent guy. But if we were to then try to go somewhere else, I don't know how we would make ends meet with me being so unreliable. You know what I mean? Absolutely. With yeah, totally. No, I hear you. So, it's like, I, I would like to get checked for maybe like molds or something um, at some point. And um, if it is high, then put that higher on the priority list, figuring out what to do to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there are mold home test kits you can buy. And I don't like these at all. I do not think they are accurate, but they are something at least. And the right? inexpensive yeah. ones, you basically just put out a Petri dish and see what grows. And mm. I have used those in a house where I was having toxic mold exposure and they did not grow anything. 
but I could vi- visibly see mold. So uh, the the VOC testing is much more reliable, but it's way more expensive. The real right. the real thing to do is just go stay somewhere else for a week, and right. that can be diagnostically relevant just to just to kind of see what happens. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm glad that you're thinking along those lines. Of course, I have to ask about mast cell activation because that's what I have, and everything you've talked about is within the realm of what is possible with mast cell activation syndrome. Do you ever have any uh, skin issues like rashes or hives, flushing in your face, anything like that? Uh, Yeah. So um, my feet um, turn red and swell up um, usually in the evenings. Mm. Um, They also turn white in bands or stripes um, along my big toe. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And sometimes like, I don't know if it's that my heart has a hard time pumping the blood out. I, I don't know what it is, but my feet also don't regulate heat properly. My body doesn't very well at all, but my feet really don't. Yep. Sometimes they get flaming hot. I've slept for a decade now um, or more. I've slept with a fan on my feet. Wow. Drives my partners insane, right? Yeah, I'm but the opposite. Like, my feet will freeze. Really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and, 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 and maybe maybe that, de- that inability to regulate heat properly as, you know, um, is some kind of flag, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's really fat. So that's one that I don't know anything about. And if people are listening, my I was just, you know, thinking about pots and that can change the color of your feet. I think it usually like they, they turn like red or purple, I think with pots, but mm-hmm. I don't have pots. So I'm not sure about that. Um, and right, again, like yeah. if people are listening, based off of what Jesse's describing, let us know what you think that might be. But yeah, I mean, that definitely feels like the clue of something. But that that doesn't sound like the type of, uh, skin stuff that I would expect with mast cell activation. That's more of like, mm-hmm. uh, like hives or flushing or rashes okay. like, or welts, um, something like that. Nothing. So I do, I do have like, um, what I think is eczema, um, what I've been told is eczema, yeah. um, on, on the heels of my feet, like okay. the inside of the heel. And, um, at the base of my neck in my hairline, I have some kind of rash that I've had for a long time. Yeah. Um, but it's just constant. Yeah, that, and, okay. that, and that's pretty constant. And yeah. yeah, I do. I also have um, some eczema on my face, and I don't. I, I mast cell activation is more like intermittent, um, where like okay. my face will turn bright red sometimes. That's you know yeah. flushing, um, and yeah. every once in a while I'll get like hives, but that's way less common for me. Um, but mm-hmm. then I'll also have like a face rash that is pretty permanent that I always am like kind of treating and trying to keep keep down. That gotcha. um, I can't remember if I've been, I've been told it's either eczema or dermatitis and I can't remember which it is. Um, uh-huh. But, uh, but MCAS affects multiple body systems, but not all of them. Um, do you have like gastrointestinal okay. issues ever? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, also, as far as the skin things, I, my, my skin is uh, really sensitive to some chemicals for some reason. Like mm. um, when I worked at um, Starbucks, um, I would rash between my fingers because of how often we, uh, we sanitized. Oh you know, yeah, like that hand. sanitizing liquid. I forgot about that stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, MCAS is a hypersensitivity disease. Um, oh. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, it's hard to say, you know, like I, I do mm-hmm. think it's something that's worth looking into. And the easiest yeah. thing you can do is just start taking antihistamines. Do you take antihistamines? I, I do actually. Um, I, so I spent my whole life I've, I've, I've been ill easy. So my birthday's in February and, um, I've had 37 birthdays or whatever, and I've spent at least 30 of them sick. Wow. Um, 
so yeah, like uh, every time during February, at some point I, I catch things. And I think it's um, probably low immune system or too, too um, strong immune system attacking other things or something. Um, but I um, have been sick a lot. Like mo most of my life, I, I would get sick more than other kids. Yeah. And um, as an adult, I tried to get the um, flu vaccine like twice. Both times were horrible results. I ended up getting the flu both years too. Hmm. And uh, like afterward, um, so like it didn't seem very effective and it, it, it made it like knocked me down quite a bit. It felt like, um, but I had also had really severe allergies like forever at 10 years old. I moved to a, a damp environment, uh, really damp, really high pollen. And then it was worse than up here in the Northwest. And then I moved up here in the Northwest, which as you know, also is damp and high pollen, but not, not nearly as bad as where I had been. Mm -hmm. um, and moving up here, was the biggest breath of fresh air for me because mm. um, it turns out that I was always having severe allergy um, issues. So I started taking allergy medicine up here after a doctor recommended. Uh, one doctor told me, okay, there's a new study out and most of the doctors you talk to won't even be aware of this study um, because it's something that that is still being currently looked at, right? And he said, we're now thinking that there might be a connection between the amount of histamines in your body and how well you process vaccines. So I recommend you go on an antihistamine. And I started taking it. And the other thing you recommended is um, taking the vaccines that I get um, that are yearly, early, really early. So um, now I get the flu vaccine right away when they come out. And um, it's night and day difference. I don't mm. get sick from the vaccine anymore. I just get knocked down a peg. The studies suggested that it could take up to two weeks longer and may not even be effective then depending um so you might need to get it multiple times uh for a vaccine to work if you have um severe allergy issues um and a lot of histamines in your system so after that i can definitely say that um my experience with the flu vaccine has gone way up so that that to me supports the possibility of the of the findings of the study yeah um and uh so i take antihistamines all the time but still i there are certain times a year where um it's not quite enough so I definitely think my body's probably flooded with histamines, you know? Which one do you take and how, how much do you take? Um, it very, it's a, um, off-brand Claritin is, is okay. what it is. Yeah. So my, um, my MCAS doctor recommends Allegra for daily use. Claritin is actually good as well. You want to be on a second generation antihistamine because they're much safer. Like first generation is like Benadryl. Second generation is like, you know, your Allegra's and Claritin's and stuff like that. Um, so I take, I take three 180 Allegra's per day, which is like three times the recommended dose, which I'm not recommending anyone do unless you have MCAS. Right. Um, but the other, the other thing you can try is, so you're on a Claritin, which is an H1 antihistamine. You can try adding in an H2 antihistamine. It sounds like anti antihistamines are helping, which is evidence that there could be something mast cell related. Mast cells are pumping out histamines in your body. So if you have a really high histamine uh, uh, count in your body, that... Um, I have read that histamine is actually a neurotransmitter. And if you have too much of it, it can kind of gunk up the works of, of what's happening. And MCAS can absolutely cause pain, um, sort of like transient pains that come and go. So you can try adding in an H2 blocker. And the most commonly available one is Pepsid, uh, Famotidine, which is, you know, used for um, heartburn. But I take 20 milligrams of Famotidine a day, and it is definitely helpful uh, in your case, I think trying out the MCAS protocol that you can do from home is like without even talking to a doctor is a good idea to at least try, which would be H1 blocker, H2 blocker, and the uh, low histamine diet. And 
I, you know, I hesitate to recommend anything being not a doctor, but I can say that uh, diagnostically, if those things help, then I think that looking into MCAS further would be a good idea because based off everything we've talked about, I do think that it is a possibility as someone who has MCAS. I think that's something that should be on the table. And then we've talked about, you know, fainting spells. Have you ever tracked your heart rate? Yeah. Um, so in my twenties, they, they had a, uh, heart monitor on me for a year or two. Oh, wow. Yeah. They found that it would dip before my fainting spells, but the, it didn't dip far enough for them to think that it uh, should be the cause. But there were also, there was also a time um, that I had to have my heart shocked back into rhythm once. So I don't really know. They didn't seem to know. They told me that I had arrhythmia and tachycardia. Um, but they said that these aren't real diagnoses. These are actually us just describing your symptoms. Right. We don't know why that this is happening with you. And we don't know how it's causing the um, other symptoms that you're having. But this is the best that we have right now. Yeah. I also have a periodic arrhythmia, and which is just, you know, irregular heartbeat. Mm -hmm. um, and then tachycardia means heartbeat over 100 beats per minute. Um, I almost said per second, which would be real fast. Um, but <laughs> yeah, heart rate dipping before fainting is interesting because with POTS, it's generally going too fast. You know, like you stand, you stand up and it goes way too fast. I, I should, I should clarify. Um, I think mine goes way too fast just before fainting. I notice it dip um, and, and become inconsistent. And okay. then um, at the beginning of, of the, the dizziness starting to set in, but then it seems to uh, race before yeah. the actual pain. I really feel like you got to look into POTS. And if we're looking into mm -hmm. mast cell and POTS and you have joint pain and you talked about your back going out, we have to ask about connective tissue disease, something like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Is that something that your doctors have brought up or looked into? Not really, actually. Yeah. So those things come in, in threes. POTS, EDS, and MCAS are considered, you know, like the, the EDS triad. Uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is a genetic connective tissue disorder. Do you have hypermobility? What does that mean? That means like, can you bend, like, if you like bend your thumb back, how far one does thumb. it go? One thumb, I, I, I have bends further, not the other one. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And like, yeah. uh, like super flexibility basically is what that means. Uh, so no, uh, I don't think I'm uh, super flexible. Uh, but you know, I, uh, also found out that, um, I thought I was way less flexible than everyone else, but it turns out that if you have an extra spine, you can't do some of the normal things other people can, like mm. touch your toes. So I don't know, you know, yeah. where I sit on the spectrum, but definitely not hyper flexible. Okay, yeah. Well, there's actually a bunch of forms of EDS, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. The only one that does not have a genetic marker currently that we know of is the hypermobile form, but all the other forms of EDS okay. have a genetic marker. So there is like a genetic panel you can do to look into EDS. And if you get genetic testing done and it shows another form of EDS besides the hypermobile, uh, then the whole picture would sort of come into focus of like, I have a connective tissue disease, which is causing um, dysregulation of my mast cells, which is causing dysregulation of my nervous system and dysautonomia with POTS. I think that's a possibility for you. I've there's so many people that are being diagnosed with that right now. I actually just listened to a great podcast on it this morning that was sort of talking about the fact that our uh, realities as humans environmentally has changed so much that um, that it makes a lot of sense that people with connective tissue disorders would be struggling more now than ever. So maybe mm. like 
the the connective tissue disease itself has been common, but the uh, the symptomology of you know of the MCAS and and the POTS of things like the dysautonomia and the M, you know mast cells sort of firing off irregularly might be really ticking up in uh, mm -hmm. in what's happening because of like climate change and because of us spending so much time indoors and you know spending so much time inside of artificial environments essentially it was a really interesting podcast but um but that's definitely something that i you know if i were you that i would look into um mm -hmm. but you know who knows there, there's a lot of things to look into the other thing is like you also have this potential diagnosis of um yopd young onset mm -hmm. parkinson's disease which i i'm not familiar enough with parkinson's to know if the specific pain you're experiencing and the sort of like brain fog uh if those things even fit within parkinson's right pain is rarely a symptom of parkinson's however yopd is the exception about mm. 30 percent of people who are diagnosed with yopd um, suffer chronic pain um so that's on the table still you know <laughs> yeah and with the family history i mean that's also definitely a, mm. a real contender so Let's say that it is YOPD. Let's just, you know, imagine for a second that someone determines that that is the diagnosis. You get on the medication. I think it's a dopamine agonist, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you're able to treat what you have, but it is Parkinson's disease, which is, you know, a frightening diagnosis to get. How would you feel about that? You know, at this point, I would take terminal cancer over not knowing my yeah. life is so unpredictable right now that it's so much wondering, like whenever I that had that scare last this last week, I, it was like, I, how do I prepare for an end that I have no information on at all? Mm. And it's not like a normal one where it's like, and I don't see anything interrupting. It's like, no, it literally, everyone's like, oh yeah, you could die tomorrow. Yeah, sure. Everyone could die tomorrow, but this is like, I might actually die tomorrow and I need to entertain this as a very real possibility, or it could be in 20 years um, or 40 years or I, uh, who knows? And, and, and what does my life look like? The unknown is so much worse mm. than just give me um, a, an answer. I don't like, I, I'd rather an answer. I don't like than than to continue um, trying to guess blindly at, at what my right moves are from here, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And that's how I felt for sure. Before getting yeah. my diagnosis, you know, MS came up for me a lot as well. And I was just like, just, please just tell me I have MS so I can start treating right. it, you know, yeah. versus like going about this, not knowing. Yeah. And you know, the diagnosis that I eventually got is like some is one that I'm super grateful for because it is treatable. It's not curable, but it's treatable. And the treatment has been helping tremendously. That's the thing is like, we just need to know, we need the knowledge because yeah. from a place of knowledge, you can then take reasonable action. Yes. And yes. it's just so, it's Absolutely. so important. And I, I really, I really want that for you as well. And I do believe that it's possible. Yeah, yeah. I think that switching to University of Washington Medical Center is a huge step in the right direction. And, you know, I know what it's like to have doctors that don't listen. And I just started cycling <laughs> through them, you know, like, yeah. it's okay to fire your doctor if they're not the right fit for you until you find that right person. You got to have, you got to have a primary care who's in your corner and who's willing to fight right. for you. But then there's the challenge of, you know, you, you get a new primary and, and you're looking at um, six months or more uh, just to get in with them. So yeah. it's like um, you have to kind of weigh it on the scales. Like, yeah, this one now is far enough that I should jump to the next one or uh, it'd be better just to keep toughing it out and see what I happens. Know. You know? Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. But, yeah. you know, and, and also there's the piece of like becoming your own advocate and educating mm -hmm. yourself about the things that you're 
looking into like Wilson's disease or YOPD and, and just like continuing to fight the way that you are, you know? So you, you know what mirror board is? No. So I use mirror board for work. It's just this big blank whiteboard and I, and you go on, you can have multiple people working on it, whatever. And you go on and you just put information on this infinite page. And so you can do things like draw up like flow charts or um, any other information, organize it however you need. I use it for all kinds of things for my writing, for my games that I'm making, um, you know, that my studio is working on. So I decided to make a mirror board for my health. And I've been um, bringing in my entire history. I've been contacting family members all the way up. And I've just, I've got all this medical information in one spot and I'm putting my, bringing my test results in and everything. And um, so my, my thought is like the, the mirror board is amazing. Mm. Right. Um, and um, it makes it so much easier for me to just kind of see and visualize and, and understand this, this um, info, what's going on with myself. It also allows me to do things like begin to compile a timeline. Um, when yeah. different symptoms started and you know like I, I will look back and be like oh yeah this started uh, around this time but then we look back in our pictures and our photos and our phones and we see a picture of my hand like my hands will seize up sometimes like mm. this or you know in some other way like it'll, it'll pull in tight and everything um, and I can't use it it becomes like this like fucking like claw that mm. it just, it's just there and um, we saw a picture of that happening in 2018 and I suddenly realized, oh, wow, this symptoms been going on longer than I thought in my, my previous write-up. Yeah. And so every time I find something like that, I um, update my mirror board. And um, the doctors don't really seem to want to look at my mirror board. I guess I kind of understand because um, there I have a lot of information. They've already got so much information. It takes them, I'm sure, way too much work just to catch up on my case, let alone, you know. But honestly, we're at the point now where if, if we don't get some kind of change at some point, I'm thinking about going down to Mexico and um, seeing what they can do or anywhere else, because I feel like the United States uh, medical system is so uh, degraded. You know, it's like we, we aren't healing people anymore. We're pacifying people. Um, mm. And I, I don't I don't know how to get to where I need to be from here, but I'm, I'm trying with UW medicine. But if this doesn't work out. I can't afford to keep paying up here. You know, like I, I think I might, I might just try some um, medical tourism and bring my mirror board with me and be like, look, here's all the results. Here's everything that I have so far, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever you guys need, just like, you know, make me better. I'll, I'll pay you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, I mean, I hear you about the medical system, but I, I would, you know, I'm glad you're at UW and I, I do hope that you make progress there because that is where I got my answer. Yeah. So my fingers are crossed for yeah, sure. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I have one more question for you. If you could go back in time a few years ago when you had full health and give yourself a message from the future about what you're about to experience and, and with everything you've learned since then, what would that message be? It would be that mirror board actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, look, Hey, um, your life's about to turn upside down. Don't waste your time here, here, here. Take a look at this. this. Is all the information that I have so far at this time. So now you know what to expect. You can prepare in advance. Um, make these moves. You know. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, Jesse, it's really good to see you and catch up with you. Um, and once we wrap up recording, I want to talk a little bit more. But I relate so much to what you're going through, and it's so hard because like everyone's journey is unique and everyone's answer is different. And it, the way that you navigate through it 
has to be your own individual path through it. I wish I could just like give you my answer, you know, and have it be your answer. And who knows, maybe it is, but right. (laughs) Yeah. But all we can do is just keep fighting and keep pushing forward. And if I can be a resource to you in any way, you know, I'm absolutely happy to do that. If people have thoughts about Jesse's diagnosis, please email me. This is Jesse with a Y. I'm Jesse with an E, J E S S Y. So let us know if you have thoughts. If if you resonate with Jesse's story and you feel like, you know, you hey, you have what I have, or you think that that might even be a possibility, please email me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com, and I will forward along those messages. Um, and before we wrap up, please tell us where people can go if they want to connect with you online or uh, any work that you'd like yeah. to share, anything like that. Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, we're reworking our website right now. Should be ready by the time this goes live. Um, that's Sky Turtle, um, S-K-Y-T-U-R-T-L-E dot studio, S-T-U-D-I-O. And uh, that's our website. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook um, under Sky Turtle Studio. Uh, if you're already in Horizon Worlds, um, you can find me there as Desynchronize. So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jesse, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show and, and sharing your story with us. It's, you know, I know you're in the midst of it and I it's just really important to share stories like yours and to show, you know, what people are facing out there in the world, trying to get a diagnosis, trying to get human health care, you know, just to figure out how to live your own life. And it can be such a challenge and that is so unfair, but we just got to keep fighting, you know. And it, you know, you're using your anger right now to fuel you and that's all you have. And, and that's so unfair that that's what you have to resort to, to get you out of bed in the morning. But, you know, if I can support you, like I said, to keep you fighting and let's find that answer and, and figure out what it is and figure out what the next step is. That's, you know, we got to make it happen. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I, I, I appreciate what you are doing. Um, not only interviewing me right now, which is, um, incredible. I really appreciate that, but um, sharing your story. Uh, I knew you had a podcast, um, and I, I just hadn't gotten around to, uh, listening to it. You know, whenever you're going through this, sometimes you lose track of everything. Of course. And, yeah. And, uh, then I, I, um, saw you say that you had a diagnosis and I listened to that episode and was like, wow. Okay. That not only is that really awesome. I was really excited for you. Like knowing what this is like, I, I was like, I was so excited. I, I told Kiri about it and she was like, you have to reach out to him. Like, clearly you have to, re-. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm going, I'm going to reach out and say things She's like, you should ask me on the podcast. Like, well, I don't really want to ask. And then you offered and I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't even ask. I was like, I really wanted, I mean, I really wanted to, to do this because I want to, you know, it, mm-hmm. I, it means more to me than almost anything to try to help to ease people's journeys through this horrible thing that I have also lived through that there is no help for it feels like so often, but I, but the community that we've built here at the podcast is so supportive and helpful. And I'm sure that I will hear from someone and I, you know, let's, let's try to figure this thing out. You know, we've done this in the past with other people to say like, do you have ideas and got some really solid leads for people to look into. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I really hope that that's the case. And even just talking to you, the things that we've talked about, I feel mm-hmm. like our leads that should be explored, you know, MCAS, EDS, POTS, uh, you know, right. occupational medicine, some sort of toxic exposure. I really feel like those are things that should be at the very least ruled out. And every, everything yeah. that you rule out, it feels, it feels horrible when you rule something out when you want an answer, but everything you rule out right. definitively, like if we can rule out Wilson's disease, rule out MS, yeah. 
then you're one step closer to figuring out what it is. And, and that's, that's my, my strategy right now. I got that list and I I'm like, okay, just cross it off. Like uh check. How do yeah. I verify this? Isn't it cross it off? You yeah. know, and I just go down the list that way. So yeah. just to, to see what, what to focus on next, you know, find the answer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I really hope that we'll have you back on the show in the future with an update of your diagnosis. Please keep me in the loop. And thank you so much for coming on the show. It's such a pleasure to catch up and to share your story today. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncy, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.